episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, today we have one of those episodes that I'm just going to get it out in the open right now. It is an embarrassment to me. (laughs) And you can make as much fun of me as you want during the course of this episode. We are talking about a subject that, you know, not many people in the worldwide message cult and all of its various splinter groups, not many people are aware. There are some, but those who make the journey to Mecca, (laughs) to, to William Branham's hometown of Jeffersonville, some of them get a sense of it. Now, I lived from... In, from Arizona to South Carolina and everywhere in between. And growing up as a child, I really never caught on to it. So I feel kind of duped. And then when I moved here, I realized that, you know, something's a little bit off here. And people who come to Jeffersonville and they spend, you know, even a, I don't know, a few months time here, they start to sense that something's a little bit different here than it is in other places. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, it's really weird. It's like being in a Stephen King book, you know, where the whole town knows this deep, dark secret. And then everybody, you know, the unsuspecting person comes into town and everybody's just kind of really nice and welcoming. And then as they discover the secret, everybody kind of changes. Well, that's how it was for me because we're <laughs> we're talking about today the deity cult well even my grandfather fully openly denied it from behind the platform and even sometimes in private not always but sometimes in private he would talk about those people who <laughs> believe that William Branham was god and he would kind of poke fun of adam as though he wasn't one of them but it was you know, in my mind, it's playing tug of war because he also <laughs> was saying things that clearly identified himself in that same category while trying to distance himself from that category. And it's just so odd, man. You come to this town and and, and there are groups of people that isolate themselves and talk about the deity of William Branham and to people who are outside, they don't see it. And then when they move here, they're they're like that movie, Oh brother, where art thou? This town is a geographical oddity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, John. Yeah. In today's episode, um, I also, I've personally been looking forward to this topic for quite a while and I'm glad we're finally getting to it. Um, because while the deity cult was developing down the street, my church was collecting dirt on them for 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, so we're going to examine the William Branham deity cult uh, today and uh, how it got started, how William Branham reacted to it, and how the deity cult took over the central institutions of the message while William Branham was still living. And if we have time, we can also share some of the things we know about William Branham's mental health deterioration through those years and how some of that correlates uh, to this thing. But uh, And so going into this, John, I think it is very important for us both to say that neither you or I were ever part of the deity cult. Never. Um, right. We never believed William Branham was God incarnate. Um, I, I don't know about you, John. I mean, in my group, I mean, 
I would have, and we would have definitely said God was manifested in William Branham's ministry. We would have termed it like that. Yes. But we would never say he was God incarnate. We would no. never have said something like that. In hindsight, I really wish Grandpa would have been more fully open and honest about this, because even as a young adult, had he come out and said that, yes, I believe that William Branham was God, tabernacled in human flesh, like he said, like he said at the end of his life, had he said that in my early years, I would have run screaming. I, uh, we would say, or, you know, where I come, we would say God was in William Branham, but we would not say William Branham was God. So, right. and, and I think that's where the line exists between the average message believer and, and the deity cult. I'd say that's where the line is drawn, that the deity cult believes William Branham was God incarnate as the second coming of Jesus Christ, um, whereas the more typical message belief is that God was in William Branham more in a manifested sons of God kind of a way. And William Branham was like just one of many manifested sons of God. And in message thinking, there is an important distinction there. So when I talk about the deity cult, I'm talking about people who believe William Branham was um, God incarnate, right? They, they To the extent that they baptized and even prayed in his name. Oh, yeah. Um, and there were, t there were times, I mean, I've had Many witnesses go, there were times that there would be prayer in William Branham's name at the Branham Tabernacle even. Um, we'd had people come come from there in their prayer services on Wednesday nights. Um, yeah. They would usually, that, that's when it would usually happen. And anyway, they, they truly believe that William Branham was the second coming of Jesus Christ. A surprising number of them believe that way. And it's a global thing. There are people in other countries that... They have entire churches of William Branham, and it's there are some in the United States. There's a lot of them in Africa, but you can go around globally, and you can see these things where they've created this this weird cult. <laughs> it's like the third third cult of Zeus or Poseidon, right? They're worshiping this human being. Well, sometimes whenever I was at the Branham Tabernacle, these people would come, and now grandfather until the last years of his life, whenever his filter was fully removed as he aged. He never openly said it in the church. He, anytime he spoke about William Branham's deity, he spoke about it in private. And if you really didn't stop and think about what he said, it probably slipped right over your head. I, I caught it because I listened to everything as a kid. But these people would come from out of town to come visit Mecca, and they would visit the church, and every once in a while, Grandpa would have one of them pray. And I think he probably didn't know that they were going to do it, but they <laughs> they would pray and they would, oh, oh, blessed, you know, Brother Branham, and they'd mention his name in the prayer. And I just, you know, I'd, I'd be bowing my head and then I'm, I'm in this weird place, right? I'm bowing my head to pray and I think I'm praying to Jesus, but they're praying to William Branham. So what do I do? Do I, you know, you weren't supposed to open your eyes in the, during the prayer. What do I do? Do I lift my head and open my eyes and reject it? Or do I keep bowed? It's, as a child, this was this weird wow. conundrum and going on oh, in my oh, head. Wow. wow. I, I can just hardly imagine what that had to be like. Yeah, you're all praying. And then halfway through, you realize you're praying to William Branham rather than <laughs> to God. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible, John. <clears throat> so I... I think uh, we should start probably by explaining the origins of the deity cult, um, because where and how the deity cult arose, I think, is actually a pretty well-kept secret. 
oh, yeah. I don't think a lot of people really know the true story. And if our listeners recall, I am formerly assistant pastor of the second oldest continuously operating message church in the world. And my church is largely descended from the old timers who left the tabernacle uh, in the days that the deity cult took it over. <laughs> and uh, we had people in our church who knew William Branham all the way back to the 1930s before he was married, before he had children, and I've had access to many lifelong witnesses of William Branham. And so what I'm getting at is my, the people at my church were there before the deity cult existed. Um, and it's fairly well known among our people how the deity cult began. And I have some of their testimony even on tape that they recorded back in the 90s, um, just kind of cataloging all of that, John. I could share the tapes with you. It's videotapes, wow. too. Yeah, so I have videotapes <laughs> where they're uh, telling the history of all this stuff. I, I, I have so much stuff, John. I mean, it's unbelievable. But So the Deity Cult um, actually did not start here in Jeffersonville. Uh, the deity cult did not arise among the old-time followers of William Branham from the early days of his ministry. The deity cult actually started in Canada, in Saskatchewan, and it started among people who were affiliated with the Sharon Orphanage right at the very heart of the Latter Rain Movement. And I think that is something very few people um, know and realize. The deity cult was born at the heart of the Latter Rain Movement. It is not native to Jeffersonville. Um, it started taking form about 1955, 1956, right in the peak years of the healing revival. And it began among Canadians living in Saskatchewan who were affiliated with the Sharon Orphanage. Yeah. And if you really take a step back and think about it, I know that you separated them in two categories, but the manifested sons of God doctrine, which we should explain again for anybody who missed it in the previous episodes, manifested sons of God doctrine was this widespread belief. Um, I mean, it wasn't, today they try to minimize it, but it was a widespread belief that William Branham kind of introduced that in the last days, God would be manifesting himself in the form of a prophet and that the fivefold ministry would be showing, you know, the basically would re return the church back to the Old Testament days with the power of the Old Testament um, descriptions of the church. And instead of God returning in the form of a human being, God was re returning in all of the human beings in the church immediately before the catching away of the church, the rapture of the church. And so the return of Jesus Christ took a completely different form in the manifested sons of God sect. This began in the early years in latter rain, and though other people have you know, became cre credited for starting this doctrine. It originated with William Branham, and you can go back and you can read the testimony. I think Scott Hawes has it up on his website of William Branham coming in and showing people that he has the power to move bracelets and move objects around the room. I actually had another person just this week, Charles, contact me, and they remember William Branham performing these parlor tricks, I call them. but. Wow. They, um, you know, people who believe it, they say that William Branham had a demon and he was practicing metaphysics and all of this stuff. No, in my opinion, he, he was pulling some pretty good bar tricks and, and his brother worked in a bar, by the way. <laughs> so this, this whole thing is kind of weird, but this was centralized in the Lateran movement in, like you said, in Saskatchewan. And it, it, it's kind of weird because it was widespread, yet as people began to realize, not only is this extra-biblical, this is highly unbiblical. some very deceptive people tried to take the doctrine 
underground. And so they would preach a, you know, a sermon that was kind of against it in public, but then behind the scenes, they're all talking about it. And it's this big, it's, it's like the old Gnostics, you know, we have the secret mysteries and we can't talk about this to the rest of the church. This is for our little group only, the mystery of God manifesting himself in all of these latter-day prophets. Yeah, I think that's a great analysis, John. Um, and you, you hit the nail on the head because the latter rain movement did develop the idea that Jesus Christ would return to the church in the last days and that when it happened, it would bring about the manifested sons of God. Um, now, the, the Sharon Orphanage itself and their faction of the latter rain, they ended up becoming a millennial and they actually stopped believing in the rapture and they believe that the manifestation of the sons of God was it, and then the millennium would ensue more or less directly. So they, they stopped believing in a rapture. But the main branch of the latter rain movement still believe in the rapture, right? And so what you're describing is the main branch of the latter rain movement's um, ideology. And in the main branch, we believe that the manifestation of the sons of God would come as a prelude to the rapture. So there are nuances among the different factions of latter rain, but all of them were still expecting the imminent return of Jesus into the church. You can find that in the Feast of Tabernacles book from 1951, right, for example. Yeah. So they, they had this um, expectation um, that Christ was going to return into the church. And somewhere along the way, some of the people around Sharon Orphanage got the idea that William Branham was one of these manifested sons of God they had been looking for. And they started privately spreading that idea among uh, latter rain people in Western Canada in orbit around the Sharon Orphanage. Now, the, the deity cult has always been fringe, right? They by no means represent the mainstream of anything, to be sure. Um, the deity cult is very, very fringe. But I think it is really important to know that the deity cult was born at the heart of the latter rain movement, and their ideas were born directly out of the manifested sons of God theology, okay? And there in Canada in the mid and late 1950s, they introduced the practice of baptizing and praying in the name of William Branham. And uh, again, there's hard evidence they were already doing this in the 50s. And as their numbers grew, um, some of them who were more well-to-do financially joined William Branham's entourage, and they started traveling with him. Yeah. Uh, Fred Sothman was one of those men. Um, James McGuire was another. Tom Simpson was a third. And on the sidelines of William Branham's revival meetings, they were proselytizing people and converting the people to their deity beliefs. Okay, It's something they were doing under the radar, low-key, on the sidelines of William Branham's tours. And they would secretly, secretly baptize their new recruits in the name of William Branham. Um, when these things happen. And, and as this is happening on the sidelines of the revival, it's being carried out by men in William Branham's entourage. And as they recruited more and more people, some of them started moving here to Jeffersonville to be closer to William Branham. Because um, th these men, I've so far I mentioned, they're all Canadians from that area. And gradually the people started to move to Jeffersonville. And, and as they did, <clears throat> After a few years, they actually came to outnumber the original followers of William Branham, who were the locals here to Jeffersonville. And that is more or less how the deity cult moved into the Jeffersonville area. Yeah. And I think it's very important to point out, because people who research this kind of thing, they're looking for a single source of the problem. And there wasn't a one source of the problem. No. The way that this 
all of this doctrine, this weird mess of theology, the way that it developed over time is you had one person over here who's introducing this idea that's kind of extra biblical, and then you have this other person over here that runs with it, and then he adds his own extra biblical stuff, and they're cross-pollinating. They're basically, they've got this fertile ground that's growing fruit, and they're just mixing all kinds of pagan fruits in, among the, <laughs> this, this movement that they call Christian. You mentioned Feast of Tabernacles, for example, George Warnock, who wrote that, he was he's credited with the one who founded the Manifest Sons of God theology, but it wasn't him. Now, he's the one who organized it into a format that people could read and they could understand. But he's just one voice among many, William Branham, one of the primary voices among them. And it's also key to point out that Warnock was a personal secretary for Ern Baxter. And Warnock joined the Lateran revivals, as we've mentioned, I think it was like 1948, right, right during its inception. So you've got Ern Baxter and his secretary who are deeply, deeply involved with this thing. In its earliest form, I don't believe that they were pro- proclaiming it in the same way that it ended up. But what happens is one person brings this idea that's false theology, that's extra biblical. Another person grows it. And over time, it just kind of morphed into God is coming in a human. And then that opened the door for the message cult of per- William Branham's message cult of personality took all of those various pieces and is like this weird mess of a puzzle. They put together this hodgepodge of doctrine that said William Branham is God. Yeah, that's well said. And we did, I think we did three or four episodes where we talked about the birth of the latter reign, the, the development of manifested sons of God theology and all, you know, all of this component. So if you want to deep dive in that, you can go back and listen to those episodes. They were, I think they were pretty good episodes we recorded. And then we also went through the fracturing of the latter reign, how all these guys started to break up into their different sections and, and sex. But so there, we've, we've definitely got a lot of good stuff on them. Um, but John, as you come to 1961, okay, William Branham preached what is quite probably the most infamous sermon in the entire history of the message. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the sermon where he confronts the deity cult. And most everyone I ever knew called it the bruised serpent. Yeah. It is a legendary <laughs> message sermon. So much it's even got a special name, right? Like the right. Bruce a Serpent, secret right? name. <laughs> yeah. In the official tape library, it's called Revelation Chapter 5, Part 1, <laughs> if you want to look it up. But yeah, and we all, everybody I ever knew always called it the Bruce Serpent. I had no idea this was a thing, right? And you, you're outside of Jeffersonville. You just have no idea. And Grandpa's, the way that it worked in the Branham Tabernacle, they listened to the recordings. They were a tape-only church, as we mentioned. And Grandpa would get up in his fancy suit and say, now today we've got a message from William Branham. And he would give his tie to whatever it was, whether he was there, whether he heard it later, whatever is the personal relationship to the recording from the 50s, <laughs> and then ask Brother So-and-So in the back to press play on the tape player. Well, when he introduced this, he would get real quiet. Now this, we call this the bruised serpent. <laughs> and I was like, why did not give the title to the tape, man? <laughs> I'm surprised that, that, that he would play it even. That surprises me. Did that... did. Did, I'm sure like this sermon was triggering for deity people because William Branham kind of 
it's let them just have so, it a little bit. Yeah, it's just so odd, and it's really hard to explain in a way that people who weren't under the same mind control can even understand because there are many things. This is one of them. There are many things that I found out that people believe strongly for and strongly against at the same time. Very publicly, my grandfather would condemn the deity cult. I mean, he he was not very nice to them. And in hindsight, it's kind of odd. In hindsight, I look back at the Branham Tabernacle. I always set in there's three sections, three, you know, columns of people in the church. And I always said in the middle one, and it, it's really odd because the left and the right side was very clearly <laughs> in hindsight, one side had all the deity people and the other <laughs> side had all the non deity people. And then in the middle were, I'm guessing was the undecided people or just the people who didn't know. <laughs> and I didn't know. <laughs> and I didn't like, I didn't choose that on purpose. I just, that's where I wanted to sit. But in hindsight, there, there was this clear separation in the building itself. And grandpa would say things now that I'm understanding how the dynamics of this church worked. He was ridiculing the deity cult, just <laughs> saying some awful things about him from behind the pulpit. But then in private, he was saying things that Charles, I even early in in my before I started my research, but early in my years of understanding what it was we were in, he was very much in a his own version of the deity cult. But he would condemn those who were the other people. And I think it was more honestly in this area, the people in the deity cult generally tend to be more of those who are I hate to use the word, but it is a cult of personality. They've got a cult of personality of William Branham's sons in this area. Those people are in that cult of personality versus the others, <laughs> the other deity cult. They were in the personality cult of William Branham. And you had that weird dynamic. We had, for example, we had a person who every Easter, he would come put these big signs and billboards that said, and I won't give the son's name, but one of William Branham's sons is God right there. And, and the deacons, everybody in the church had no idea this was going on, but the deacons had to scramble to try to cover up because this, this guy would pull up like a big trailer and then unhitch it. And there's, you know, you can't just pull the trailer away. So they would have to go find like, I don't know, a hundred trash bags and duct tape and try to <laughs> duct tape the whole side of it. It was, it was really comical when you knew what was going on, but the vast majority of people in the building had no idea that any of this was going on behind the scenes. Wow. Okay. So that, that actually makes, makes some sense to me because, uh, that, that would explain the division, you know, so it's, it's the people who had decided that the son of God was the son of God. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that caused the that were the different faction among the deeds. So okay, so there's I could see how the deity cult could have factions in it that way too. That's yeah. interesting. It's splintered but, just like every other cult. It it is a cult yeah. and it's splintered into new cults. Yeah. So I, I want to point out a few things William Branham said in that sermon. Let me read part of it to you. Um William Branham said here, reading a quote, he says, I heard of it a few years ago. I thought it was a joke. And I met a couple brethren which I don't see neither one of them in the meeting this morning. Two or three of them. One time on a fishing trip, they approached me by the subject saying, Brother Branham, aren't you the anointed Messiah, the Christ? And I put my arms around the neck of both brethren or all of them, and I said, Brethren, 
As much as I've tried to be a true servant of Christ, I would not that you should say such a thing as that. And if it would ever be said of me, then I will leave the field with a clear conscience, and you who do that will be responsible for every soul that I would have saved during that time, see, for taking me from the field. And I thought that ended it. And then I heard about it a few more times, but it wasn't so. <laughs> so, so William Branham, that's kind of weird saying that, yeah. isn't it? So William <laughs> yes. Branham is telling us he was aware of the existence of the Deity cult for several years before yeah. 1961. That's really the only thing you can take away from that cult, uh, from that quote. And, um, and he said there he's heard it not just once. He said he's heard this thing multiple numbers of times that, that the Deity cult existed. And this thing, notice how he says it, this thing also happened where? On a fishing trip, right? Just think about that. William Branham only took his inner circle on his hunting fishing trips, right? And as he preached the sermon, he's looking around, right? Said, I don't see them sitting here this morning, right? He's in Jeffersonville. So again, very clearly here, William Branham is describing man in his inner circle as being in this deity cult. So make, make sure you catch that from the sermon. And again, to be clear, John, William Branham in that sermon was talking about Fred Sothman, James McGuire and Tom Simpson. Okay, those yeah. are the three men William Branham is referring to coming to him on that fishing trip. And and again, I know this because our people were there when all of this happened. I have known the eyewitnesses even of the people. So these people all went to William Branham's house afterwards, and I I know eyewitnesses that were at that meeting too. So, anyways, Fred Sothman, James McGuire, and Tom Simpson were the ringleaders there in the early Deity cult um, coming out of the 1950s. But there were quite a few more besides them in the Deity cult who had all been baptized in the name of William Brown. Yeah, and I, I have to laugh now that I know everything that was going on whenever I hear that quote, because William Branham is openly, publicly condemning anybody who believes that he is God. And he's aware that he's surrounded by a bunch of people who believe he's God. And he has insinuated for several years. <laughs> He's not come out and said it, but he has insinuated, and if you follow his logical conclusions, you can only logical conclude that he is the God manifested in, <laughs> in the form of William Branham. That's what he wanted you to believe. But then he would say things like this, and there's a reason why. Remember, we've talked about how everybody has kind of pulled away from William Branham, and they're saying that he's starting his own cult of personality, and he's following the the error of Dowie is how they put it. So, and those people are buying these recordings. So this is not a statement being made for the people that he is speaking to. This is a statement being made to all of his opposition who are aware that he is starting a cult of personality so that when they get the tape, they're going to say, oh, well, he's he's rejecting it. He's affirming this. Maybe we can have him back in our church. That's why it's happening. I never will forget, and I won't give his name, but you may or may not have mentioned him already. <clears throat> I, I met this person one time, and they, they told me that it, no matter what I did, whether I was against William Branham, for William Branham, they talked to me and they explained to me that it really doesn't matter because God has already came and left. And we're now living in the new millennium because God has walked the face of this earth and it's all over. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, you, you can do whatever. You can go be a drunkard and go have sex. I can't remember how he put it, but it was like, it was shocking to me that wow. I'm, I'm like, I, this was not, a, this was a conversation that you would usually hear from 
from. So you can do anything and it's okay now. <laughs> that's what he, Jesus came. Yeah, that's what he said. It, it was the most shocking thing I ever heard, right? I'm, I, you know, I don't really talk that crude, but this person did. And they said, I was there in Shreveport whenever I saw God on the platform in that man. And William Branham is saying this on recording again for, <laughs> for his opposition, not for the people that's actually in the building. <clears throat> and then in Shreveport, we've mentioned it before that he says this, but after convincing his cult of personality that he's Elijah in Shreveport, he says, but the Elijah of this day, and Charles, we all know who he's talking about when he says the Elijah of this day, the Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, not a man, but God in the form of a prophet. So in Shreveport to these people in this building where his opposition must not have cared whether or not they got this recording because he is saying i am god <laughs> another thing i think we've got to point out is that william branham put the members of the deity cult in charge of all of the key institutions of the message okay yes uh, he did that while he was alive and when you're in the message you might be blind to this okay i mean i know i was we 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 basically believe they took over and overthrew it after he died but that that's not true right and this is a, it's a really obvious thing. William Branham knew these men, thought he was God, right? And then he chose to put them in positions of power. So why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why in the world would he keep all these deity people, there's more than those three I mentioned, in his inner circle? Why in the world did he take them with him everywhere he went? Why did he give them their power? Why didn't he excommunicate them? I mean, that that's 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 it. I mean, th there's no worse blasphemy than these guys were doing, right? I mean, there's yeah. no worse blasphemy than this. W William Branham says to the Catholic Church, "Come out of her, my people." The Pope thinks he speaks from God, right? And he, but he knowingly entertains people who thinks he's God himself and lets them fill up seats in his own church. I mean, how does this make? any sort of sense, right? How can he preach so hard against denominations for harboring false doctrines and being run by corrupt people, right? When he has been tolerating for years people who think he's God in his inner circle and putting people who think he's God into the key positions of power in the message, right? I mean, is there is there any worse false doctrine than than believing in a false God, right? So how how does how can William Branham claim any sort of moral high ground, right? Come join my group, which is better than that group. But we've got worse heretics over here than the group you're coming out of, right? I mean, it, it just makes no sense that William Branham had these utterly apostate men, right, with their hands on the power levels of power in his own group, and he would say, "My group's better than better than that group." I'd have to say, no. I mean, the, the Baptist is better than this. The Baptists don't worship a false god, right? But the message there's a lot of message people who literally do. Yeah, you know, it's ironic too because they said that. He is following the heir of Dowie, of John Alexander Dowie. Well, Dowie did the same thing. They started proclaiming that Dowie was God in the flesh. And the people who said this the most were the ones that Dowie kept closely in his inner circle and gave them positions of power. Because if you think about the control, the authoritarian control of a cult, you've got, it's like a pyramid scheme. You've got the central figure at the top, and then you've got all of these enforcers, and then the rank and file members. Well, if you get enforcers who think you're God, there is no greater authority over them. They believe you are God. And I've come to the conclusion, Charles, that there are 
in both Dowie's situation and Branham's, there were men in power who actually did believe this. I think there were also men who were very deceptive and they realized the control, the, the level of control they could have, and they didn't believe it. But there were people who actually did believe that William Branham was God, yeah. who Branham put in positions of power for that purpose. You're absolutely right. And and maybe we could play just a little excerpt of one of the many times that Fred Sothman explained how William Branham was God here. Um, and as you listen to Fred Sothman, I mean, you just got to ask yourself the question, why did William Branham make that man the trustee of the Branham Tabernacle and the trustee of the William Branham Evangelistic Association? Why did William Branham do that? Right, because he was already saying those sort of things before William Branham made him that, okay? Well, uh, you know, I tell you, really what happened, mm. that was the second coming of the Lord, but nobody caught it. You know, uh, John introduced him when he come down to the water there, introduced him mm -hmm. that was the Messiah, didn't he? Yeah. And that's the... Uh, the pillar of fire come down there, and, and there he was baptizing all that people. But listen to what he said about the tabernacle. Mm. He said, where John the Baptist was baptizing, now everybody thought Brother Branham was John the Baptist. No, John the Baptist into Jesus Christ, and that's it. And Brother Branham was the one hay bailers like me that introduced him, but he was God, nothing short of it. Fred Sotsman's the guy who, who headed the organization that became Voice of God Recordings. And John, from everything I've ever heard, Fred Sotsman is the man who named Voice of God Recordings, <laughs> yes. okay? I mean, the very name of their organization is blasphemy, okay? William Branham gave that man sole rights to reproduce his sermon recordings. So why did William Branham do that? It just blows your mind, right? Because there's not a there's only a bad answer to that question, right? Yeah. There's only bad answers to that question. If if William Branham gave the deity people control knowingly, then he is just as guilty as they are. Okay? And that is actually what happened. William Branham, knowing full well who those people were and what they believed, gave them total control over the key institutions of the message while he was still living. Yeah. Even after the deed, even after the Bruce Sermon Serpent, the Bruce Serpent Sermon, he gave them even more power. And, and even if you look at the other people that William Branham put into control, you've got Leo Mercer and Gene Goad, who we covered <laughs> pretty thoroughly in, in the homosexual episode that we had on the podcast. These men, Leo Mercer, in the latter years of his life, he clearly did not believe the message. He's involved with drugs and alcohol and sex. And, you know, this this is not a good man by any means. And William Branham gave him full control of the tape library. He's, he was the he was the two one of the two scribes for the message. Right. And they were homosexual together. And we're not going to go into it on this episode, but there have been questions asked to me about Fred Sothman. And you can come to your own conclusion. Just go look at the pictures. But these people that William Branham chose for the the elite members of his cult of personality, these people had serious, serious flaws. Gene and Leo were involved in the deity stuff, too. And, you know, if if you listen to the testimony 
of people in the deity cult, you can you can get their perspective, okay? And the people in the deity cult say it was William Branham who led them to believe he was God, right? It's like they didn't just wake up someday with the revelation that William Branham was God, but they they will say that William Branham actively led them to believe he was God. And let me read you a quote. This one is from Roy Roberson from Only Believe magazine. He was on these hunting trips with William Branham, just like the other deity guys. And again, so Roy Roberson is local to this area, but he was recruited into the deity cult somewhere in the late 1950s. And let me read to you how he describes it here um, in Only Believe magazine. He says, Once Brother Branham asked me, Brother Roberson, do you really know who Moses was? When he put it like that, I had to say, no, I don't. He said, he was God to those children of Israel. He could speak into existence fleas and all kinds of things, like squirrels. <laughs> and when he said squirrels, then I knew he was our Moses. He was God to the people of this generation. Okay, so so there, there's a real simple example. But if, if you'll take time to listen and read through the recorded testimonies of the deity people, they will, to a man, tell you that William Branham was actively leading them to believe he was God when he was in private with them. And when you pair that with the things being said on tape about William Branham claiming to be God, it is no surprise that some people ended up believing William Branham was God. Because that's exactly what William Branham was leading them to believe. Coming home, me and Brother Tom Simpson were coming together home. Brother Branham told us, well, I am Moses, I am Elijah, and I am the Messiah. And it's not something, it's not something I could see when I was in the message, but it is the truth. It was William Branham leading these people to believe he was God both publicly and privately encouraging their belief, especially privately. And Roy Roberson, also part of the Deity Cult, this is the man who ran Spoken Word Publications, another trustee of the Branham Tabernacle, another member of the Deity Cult. Okay, These guys had power over all of the key institutions of the message, and William Branham gave them that power. You mentioned something there that I want to focus in on just a bit more. You mentioned... <clears throat> You could not see it while you were in the message. This is something that is so fascinating to me, but it's it's very troubling. The people who escape the message, they all tell you the same thing. I couldn't see this while I was in it. And then they step away and they start to see all of the issues with the message and they wake up and they start their process of deprogramming. And a lot of the, the very obvious things, then they can start to see it. The things that William Branham said that is clearly provably false they will say yes I've, I've understood this but sometimes it takes charles many years before they start to wake up and realize the very strategic things that william branham did there are people who are aware that william branham was promoting himself as a god to his people and largely reject a message for this because they can examine the latter years and statements like that that i just showed you. They're aware that William Branham was doing this. Those same people who weren't in it aren't really aware that this did not start after William Branham started having the mental health issues in his later years. 
This began as a very strategic thing during his early years and all through his ministry. He is planting seeds that are growing, seeds of theology that are growing, that he will follow up with another sermon, and then he will build upon that seed of theology, injecting himself in the story. And unless you're aware that this story goes with this previous story, you'll hear the second story and not realize, that, wait a minute. He is setting himself up to be a god to the people because you totally missed it. You didn't you did not know that that earlier sermon was a seed planted for what he's following following up in basketball. We call it the alley oop. Somebody throws up the ball and another person runs and throws it through the hoop. William Branham was his own alley oop show. He would plant us. He would throw the ball up and then he would slam dunk it with I am God. As you get into the 1960s. William Branham gave the deity people pretty well total control over the institutions of the message. They had control of the tapes. They had control of the spoken word transcripts. They had control over what would turn into Voice of God recordings. They had control over the Tabernacle Church Board. Uh, They were given control of the William Branham Evangelistic Association. So all of the key institutions of the message were turned over to these people by William Branham. And William Branham knew... He absolutely knew that these people thought he was God, right? And it is a matter of fact that it is William Branham who is the person responsible for putting the deity cult into power, okay? And of all of the people William Branham could have promoted as trustees, as men to head up the message institutions, he chose the deity people, John. Like like you said, there's a whole three sections in the tabernacle, right? Yeah. Why did he all choose only the people out of the deity section, right? Like, why? They're, they're, it doesn't make sense, right? And I'm I'm reiterating all this because this is not what they told us where I came from. And I want everyone to know that the deity people did not overthrow the message institutions after William Branham died. They were already empowered by William Branham, actually long before he died. And I think that's really an important thing to realize because that actually says something about William Branham is what that does. That says something about William Branham. Yeah. And James and I just recently did this episode. I think it'll come out before this one of drinking the tape water, (laughs) referring to listening to William Branham's sermons as the life giving water, basically. And if you look at how this deity cult grew and splintered, that that same split within the Branham Tabernacle, well, when the church split, all of the elders denounced the sons of William Branham. And my grandfather basically said his words were, if you can get to the children, you can get to the parents. And if you can get to the parents, you can get to their money. And everybody sitting there knew that my grandfather was talking directly to the William Branham's sons while he's saying this. Well, the people who sided with the deity cult of William Branham, they split off into their own church, and the people who followed the deity cult of the sons, they split out into their own church, and the sons' church is the ones that (laughs) have this doctrine about drinking tape water. So going back to 1961, John, I mean, that's just (laughs) unbelievable. Um, The 1961 sermon on the bruised serpent, it, it seems like the reason William Branham preached that sermon you mentioned already, was because the deity cult got caught. Let me read another quote here from the Bruised Serpent Sermon. William Branham said, And the other day in Canada, a brother showed me a little ticket of a thing he was packing in his pocket. He said, William Branham is our Lord, baptizing in the name of William Branham. 
So, John, I've had these things described to me by multiple eyewitnesses. The Deity Cult created these little uh, round metallic medallions about the size of a 50 cent piece. And Tom Simpson, he's a man who had a lot of money. He's the one who made those. And he would hand those out to the people that they baptized in William Branham's name. Okay, And that's what William Branham is talking about. He came into contact. He saw these medallions with his own eyes. And he goes on to say here, And a precious darling brother came up to me to confess his sins and wrongs and say his faith was in me as being Jesus Christ. And I've got letters at home and calls from Chicago and different places asking me if I believe that dogma. And I got all kinds of letters that's come to me in just the last few days and calls from different places saying that I was Christ. Okay, so... So very clearly, this is what forced William Branham to confront the deity cult, okay, and preach the Bruce Serpent. And and he mentions there the phone calls from Chicago. That's Joseph Metz and Bose, okay? So this is even a step too far for Joseph Metz and Bose. Baptizing in the name of William Branham, confessing William Branham is Lord, okay? That's This is off the deep end for almost everyone in latter rain, okay, o- outside of William Branham's most innermost cult people, right? Even for Joseph Metz and Bose, who had stuck with him through all of those splits, this is too much, okay? And it puts William Branham in a bind, okay? It forces him to publicly denounce the deity cult. And and I think it is reasonable to characterize the Bruce Serpent sermon that way because William Branham very clearly knew, just by the things he said in that sermon, that the deity cult had existed for years at that point. He knew they were praying in his name. He knew they were baptizing in his name, and he knew it for years by his own admission, right? But it's only after these phone calls come to him, especially the one from Joseph Matson Bose in Chicago, that prompts him to finally take action. And for me, this this reflects very poorly on William Branham. You know, the fact that it took all of this pressure coming to him to compel him to actually denounce the deity cult that says something very bad about William Branham, I gotta say. He should have denounced and excommunicated these people the very first time he heard they were baptizing in his name. Whether he thought they were joking or not, in Christianity, that is not something you joke about, okay? You would just be just, you should be excommunicated even for joking about that, you know, in, by Bible, you know. So they should have been excommunicated immediately. Not years later when people finally pressured him to do something about them. Yeah. (laughs) And ignoring the fact that William Branham called this person a precious darling brother. (laughs) Actually, Who believes I'm God. (laughs) Actually, no, I'm not going to ignore that, Charles. I want you to go to work on Monday, and I want you to find somebody who's one of your co-workers who you're aware is a Christian friend of yours. I want you to go in front of everybody else in the room and put your arm around them and say, this is my precious darling brother. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, John. My wife and I had this conversation with somebody recently. We had ways of talking about other people in the cult that aren't normal, <laughs> not by any means. I, I can only imagine what would happen if I were to do this. <clears throat> now, in today's world, you know, there are levels of politically correctness that you have to adhere by, and everybody would say, oh, that's fine if you two do this. But back in the time in which William Branham is saying this, this is a further red flag for everybody who is in fundamentalist Christianity. (laughs) William Branham, he's calling this person a precious darling brother. But 
Charles, here's where it gets really, really, really scary. Whenever a cult starts to feel that the walls are closing in around them, especially the deranged, narcissistic cult leader who's living in visions of grandiose you know, delusions, whenever they feel that the walls are closing in upon them, there is a tendency historically to start to deify oneself and to make everybody further your subordinate. In other words, you had you already had an authoritarian level of control over them, but now because the walls are closing in, you can't lose anybody. You have to have even more control, more power, more, you know, forceful control of their lives. And so with Jim Jones, as we've reviewed in the past, he took this level of deity upon himself and then he was he had the power over the people to convince them to commit mass suicide. Well, during the last years of William Branham's life, again, Branham has placed these seeds all of his life. He he has basically created a backdoor from which he can now exit. Now towards the end of his life as the walls of you know, his peers are all, they're all closing in on him. They realize that this is a very, very, very destructive cult. That's when he starts openly declaring this deity doctrine. And Charles, for me, this is extremely scary. So after William Branham finished preaching the bruised serpent, okay, later that same Sunday, all of the people in the deity cult got together and they went over to William Branham's house. And if you remember, Banks Woods was William Branham's next door neighbor, and he went into the meeting and was an eyewitness to the whole thing. And Banks Woods was very close to my sector of the message, John. That's how I know some of these things. Um, and what happened is that the deity people smoothed things over with William Branham in the private meeting after the sermon on the bruised serpent. Okay, they they agreed more or less, we won't promote you as Jesus Christ anymore. And William Branham forgave them all, and they all reconciled there later that same evening, John, after the bruised serpent. And there was zero, zero discipline. They all kept all of their positions. And they just moved on as everything had always been, okay? And John, I, I again, I got to say, this is another example of how the message totally abandoned the biblical pattern for church discipline, okay? The Bible spells out very, very clearly how you should treat people who teach another Jesus, right? Which is exactly what they're doing. And William Branham and the leaders of the message directly disobeyed the Bible in the way they handled the situation, right? What happened here with the Deity cult in 1961 was not okay. It was not okay by a mile. And William Branham is not exempt from the scriptures or the Bible, right? William Branham didn't have some special grace where he could make up his own rules for how to handle this situation. These people, according to the Bible, should have been publicly named, and publicly expelled from the church, right? That is the pattern for something as serious as this, because in terms of heresy and blasphemy, it does not get any worse than what these men have done, okay? And instead, though, so instead of stripping all of these people of their power and excommunicating them, William Branham very shortly after this actually announces his move to Arizona, and most all the deity people pack up and they follow him to Arizona, and they become even closer buddies, and he ends up giving them even more power. Okay, And that is so remarkable. And it's really hard on this side of things looking back to make any sense out of that that redeems 
you know, William Branham, right? If William Branham knew who those guys were, he knew they were baptizing in his name. He knew they were praying in his name. He knew they thought he was God. Why did he give them every single control of all the message institutions? Why did he take them with him and leave them in his inner circle, right? Why did he do that? How do you make sense out of that? And I think no matter how you evaluate it, you got to come to the conclusion that there is something very seriously wrong here. I mean, something is very, very wrong. Even within the message itself, the message has countless splinter groups and then splinter groups of those splinter groups. <clears throat> Even within the message themselves, they realize that this is a very heretical doctrine. This is the purest evil of heresy. From a spiritual level, I, I, I don't even think we have to say how, how bad this is. All of our listeners are aware that this is the lowest form of evil that exists in the world today, in the world ever. This is the, this is the lowest form of evil. <clears throat> Take the spiritual stuff away for a second and just set it off to the side, though, and think of the implications that it has upon the children. I was part of this, Charles, and I didn't know that I was part of this. I have many friends now, some of whom have escaped from this. They were in this thing, too, and they have escaped. For a child who grows up in this thing, where openly, in private, these people are declaring William Branham's deity— they're all joining together. I mean, I can remember times in which we would be in somebody's house and there's, you know, this gathering of people and they're praising William Branham as though he were, he was God in the flesh. I've, I remember it clearly. And they get into this rhythm of saying, William Branham said this and William Branham said this. And William Branham's name is mentioned like 5,000 times within, <laughs> within a dinner time. And it's, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. <clears throat> I grew up and that was the way in which we lived. But then those same exact people would get out in public and they would deny all of it. And so there was this private side of life and there was this public side of life. And for a child, this wreaks havoc on the child's mind. People who experience this have severe mental health issues that they have to work through after they leave the cult. And it is a big, difficult, and tedious job to work through those issues. You have to address them or they will build up into bigger issues if you don't address them. And we, you know, I've mentioned this before with you and we have the podcast with Jesse. I strongly recommend if you're dealing with those issues to find counseling, get somebody who can help you because if you let this go untreated, the evil that these men have produced, especially to their children, is purely the worst form of destruction that can happen there. Charles, there are people who commit suicide who yeah. were in this thing. I know people, I have family who committed suicide, who were in this deity cult. This is a very, very destructive theology. Definitely get help. If you need it, William Branham was not God. He was not Jesus Christ, not by a long shot. And, John, you and I are proof that you're not going to have a lightning bolt strike you for saying that, okay? <laughs> That's the truth, right? You know, and, and God is actually going to love you when you turn around and throw that thing in the trash and start worshiping the true God. I mean, I'll just, there's a, there's my 
preacher hat for a second. <laughs> anyway, so now that we're outside of the message looking back, John, you know, I can see that William Branham gradually introduced the idea that he was God in his sermons. He did it gradually. And and if you want to see, you know, if, if you want to go listen to some sermons and see how this evolved over time, I would suggest maybe looking at the sermons, um, we would see Jesus, or sirs, we would see Jesus, okay? William Branham preached that subject over 30 times over the course of a few years, and very gradually, through the sermons by that title, he slowly is building up to the idea that he was Jesus Christ, okay? He's very gradually building up there. At first, it's just innuendo, right? You go back to the earlier messages by that title. But as time goes on, it becomes plainer and plainer that he's claiming to be a manifested son of God. And in 1963, when the rocket cloud appears, okay, in Arizona, about 18 months after the Bruce Serpent sermon, the deity cult then receives a new breath of life when William Branham takes the manifested sons of God teachings to the next level. And then by the time you get to 1964, that's when William Branham preached his sermons on the unveiling of God. The unveiling of God, I think, and the unveiling of the mighty God. So it like it's just the unveiling of God and the unveil and then the next one is the unveiling of the mighty God. So it's like it's increasing in being coming dramatic. Very strategic titling. Yes, and in, in those sermons, he moves beyond innuendo, and he basically starts outright saying he was Jesus returned in the form of a prophet, right? Like, it's very, unmist you know, it's very clear, very clear that he was claiming to be a manifested son of God. And, and the last two years of his life, I mean, William Branham was unmistakably claiming to be God. Yeah, and back to the people who are in his opposition, who are <laughs> aware that he is progressing in the way of Dowie. They see these tape titles, right? And there's a point in time in which William Branham denies it publicly. But there's also a point in time in which he's like full force in your face. Those titles weren't intended for his message cult following. Those were an in-your-face rejection of those who opposed him. Everybody who is in opposition to William Branham, these other ministers who are aware he's created a cult of personality, they can scan through the tape titles and, oh my gosh, look what he's done, this this guy. And, and Branham doesn't care at this point. There was a, <clears throat> like I've mentioned, there's a point in time in which the whole deity cult runs underground and it's secret and it's this Gnostic thing. But there's also a point in time in which it's in your face. There just ends up sermon after sermon after sermon where he's saying he's God. Like like the sermon, who is this Melchizedek? You know, that sermon is basically, you know, Melchizedek <laughs> is a theophany of God and William Branham is a theophany of God. I mean, that's the yeah. point of the sermon, right? Like there's sermon after sermon and, and you can just, just look at the titles where he's – you can tell by the titles even – Something is up here, right? Yeah. And he gets obsessed with this, you know, as you come to the last years. Let me read a quote from the 1965 sermon, Does God Change His Mind? William Branham said, Now Jesus came in three names, Son of Man, which is prophet, Son of God, which went through the church age, then Son of David. But between Son of God and Son of David, according to his own word and according to Malachi 4 and many scriptures, He's to return back to his church in physical form, in the people, in a human beings, in the way of being a prophet. See? Okay. So wow. I, I got to say, you know, there's, there's really just only one way to take 
what William Branham is saying here. And he didn't say that. William Branham said that dozens of times, okay? He's saying Jesus is going to come back as a prophet. And very clearly, he's saying it's the Malachi 4 prophet, right? I mean, there's, there's just no other way to take these things that he's saying. And that's 1965. And he says that in 1965, knowing there are people sitting in his church thinking he's God. This is three years after the Bruce Serpent. And for him to make a statement like that, when he knows that there's people there, you know, challenged with the thought that he could be God, and for him to say a thing like that, I mean, th there's no excuse for that. And John, I just gotta say, I mean, this is heresy, right? Jesus isn't coming back as a prophet. That's heresy. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Malachi 4 does not say that Jesus is coming back as a prophet. I mean, I don't even know where William Branham is, is getting this stuff, and it's not... I mean, I know where he's getting it, but it's not based in the Bible reality, right? I mean, it's just not based in Scripture. I mean, this is just this is just a corruption of these latter rain teachings. Yeah, it's just so heretical. And, you know, I know at the beginning of the show, we kind of separated in two categories. You got the people who believe outright that William Branham was God in the flesh. And then you've got these other people that believe that the movement was God or, you know, God was working through William Branham, in my opinion, whenever you take into consideration that a large number of people in William Branham's cult of personality used the later years, like from 1963 to 1965, as the basis for most of their theology, they do listen to some of the earlier ones, but the majority of their theological foundations come from those years. And those were the years where William Branham starts to introduce this thing. So these people quote it. These people preach about it. They have their own notions and their own doctrines that they build on that foundation. And you're early out of the cult, so you haven't probably experienced this yet. But there comes a point in time after your escape in which you are comfortable enough to start being around some of this again. And you, ne you never want to go back, but you're at least comfortable with being around people who are in it and are, sad to say, brainwashed. And you start to understand that the level of programming was deeper than even you realized when you escaped. For me, I came in contact with this one year when my, my grandmother um, down south was nearly, I, I thought she was going to die. She was in the hospital. It was a very bad situation. I went down there, and I would have never considered my maternal grandfather to be in the deity cult. In fact, when, when we talk about the two splits of the church in the Branham Tabernacle, the, those who thought William Branham was God, those who thought the sons were, my grandfather was in a category all by himself. He did He would have just completely you know, condemned the whole thing. Had he known, I don't think he knew that it was like this. When I went to visit the family and I had been, I don't, I can't remember how many years distant from the message. I wasn't in it. I, I sat down and I talked to him and he was very nice to me while nobody else in the cult was because of what I do. And he just had casual conversations. It wasn't that he wasn't preachy to me. It was as though I was a friend and he was talking to me as a friend, as his grandson. But William Branham's name was mentioned at least 5,000 times there in the hospital, in the waiting room, while my grandmother was back in, I can't remember if it was surgery or what was going on, but 
we're in front of all these other people who aren't aware that the lady in the room there is in a cult. And my grandfather, I don't think he is aware of the sheer number of times that he said, Brother Branham. And I had escaped the cult, so I'm, I'm like embarrassed because you hear that Brother Branham, Brother Branham, Brother Branham. And there comes a point in which after the, after the thousandth time, you start to get embarrassed and you're looking all around the room. Well, who's seeing me talking to this man who's saying Brother Branham, Brother Branham? Well, it's like a broken record of the Brother Branham this, Brother Branham that. He himself has deified William Branham, even though he's not saying that he's God. He's not God, you know, the manifested sons of God theology. That was not my grandfather, uh, my maternal grandfather. But he has deified William Branham because nobody else gives that respect and that reverence to a human being. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to put it, John. And I think that by and large, everyone in the message has deified William Branham to some degree. You know, yes. he is he is he is on par with God at some level in every part of the message. Right. You know, he's the voice of God. His words carry the authority of God. Everyone has moved him into a, a position of um basically allowing him to usurp the role of the Holy Spirit or usurp the role of Jesus Christ or God the Father in different ways. Like they, they all, every, every group has some facet where God, where William Branham has usurped some of the role of God. Um, the deity cult, as I think of it, are the people who have gone all the way to the point of baptizing and praying in his name. Like they've gone whole hog and they're just, they're more or less halfway open about it. But you're right. I mean, the, the whole cult is, is somewhere along the spectrum of of getting to that spot where they're not all the way to baptize, pray in his name, and right outright say he's God, but they're just a step or two behind. And there are other roles that belong to God that they've definitely usurped and give to William Branham. And and that is so problematic. And and it's hard to see that when you're in there, because even where I come from, John, I would have never believed that we believed in any of the deity stuff. But as I was leaving, I started to recognize, oh, my goodness, there are elements of 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 the deity thoughts even here where we're at. And one very simple way um, in which you can tell that people harbor some deity beliefs is the fact that they accuse us of blasphemy for saying something bad about William Branham. Right. Yeah. Okay. You can only blaspheme God. More specifically, blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's the yeah. exact accusation. You have blasphemed the Holy Ghost by saying something critical about William Branham. Right. So how can how can we commit blasphemy against William Branham? You can't blaspheme prophet. You can only <laughs> blaspheme God. Okay. Yeah. So they very clearly in their minds at some level are equating William Branham to God. Right. Yeah. Somewhere they have crossed the line into deity. Okay. And so William Branham, he just kept getting bolder and bolder and saying he was Jesus Christ. And, and, and by the time you get to the 19, end of 1965, John, he made his most famous deity quote of all, which you've already, which you've already read. I'll read it again. He said, the Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. The Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming according to Luke 1730 is the son of man to reveal himself among his people. Not God, not a man, God, but it will come through a prophet. I mean, so that is an unbelievable quote to me. The Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's 
It's absolutely unmistakable what William Branham is saying there. And when I was in the message, John, I honestly had no idea William Branham said that. Okay, Our preachers, Raymond Jackson on down, they absolutely lied to us about all of this. Right? They told us never, William Branham never claimed to be God, that he never claimed to be Jesus Christ. They always blame the deity people for inventing all those ideas, but that is just not right. William Branham absolutely taught the people that he was Jesus Christ, right? He claimed to be God incarnate very plainly in his sermons, right? Like that's you don't have to read into what he's saying, you know. He he's saying this plainly. And there's absolutely no other reasonable way to interpret what he said, right? He said, "The Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ, not a man, God." I mean, <laughs> how how can hey, there's only one way to take that, John? There's just only one way to take that. Yeah, and if you're in the message and you're wondering, is my church part of the deity group? That you mentioned Luke seventeen thirty when you're reading that quote. Yeah, that's one of the loaded language keywords in the message cult. If they're saying Luke seventeen thirty over and over and over again, this is a deity group. <laughs> I've, again, I've been from coast to coast. I know the churches. If you go into a church, and some of them, it's even in their literature, they they will proudly pro- proclaim this loaded keyword Luke seventeen thirty. And what's interesting, remember, there's a point of time in which William Branham is planting all the seeds and that he's himself is going to water. Then there's a point of time in which he takes those and he does the alley-oop. Just go to the table, which is William Branham's recorded index, and type in Luke space 17 space 30. And do a search and see whenever this doctrine was introduced. You're going to find one single quote from 1962, and it is not a deity quote. It is talking about, um, you know, the return of the Son of Man, and then he goes into there are three classes of people, (laughs) which is another cult interesting thing. But that's 1962, but the vast majority start from February 1964, and then it just goes through to the end of his life. So he has planted the seeds that he's going to come back later in water, planted the seeds of this deity notion. And then later, 1964, he comes back and all of those seeds that have been planted, now he can come inject himself as the deity for his cult of personality. Yeah, so Luke 17.30, John, you're you're right. Um, And... That's the scripture that says, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so the the the, the deity influenced people take that scripture and they say William Branham was the Son of Man being revealed, right? Which is yes. clearly those verses are talking about the second coming of Christ. Um, that's how a lot of sects take it. There are other sects that take that verse and they say um, the Son of Man was revealed, but it wasn't William Branham. Um, it was William Branham's revelation of of the Godhead or the revelation of who Jesus was. So there's so every all the sects have different ways to explain it, but the deity people, yeah, they take it and say William Branham was Luke seventeen thirty. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but that that's what they're doing. Um, so there's um, another thing I want to point out here, John, which the timing of this is really really suspicious to me. Okay. So, this is changing gears just ever so slightly. So, Sunday, June 11th, 
William Branham preached the bruised serpent, okay, confronted the deity cult. He'd got the calls from Joseph Matson Bose, okay. One week after he preaches the bruised serpent on the deity cult, the people in his inner circle, one week later, the Sunday immediately after he preached the bruised serpent, that's the Sunday that William Branham talks about the homosexual rumors on tape for the first time. Okay. Wow. So I, I think that that is notable, right? I, and I think it is reasonable for us to suspect that William Branham was confronted with the deity cult rumors and the homosexual rumors at the exact same time, okay? Cause just the way it fell, that, that's too much of a coincidence for me. And I, I think that that makes perfect sense because we know that a number of these deity people were also homosexual. The first time I've seen Brother Branham was 1947. And I came to his place in 1955 and I talked to him for 20 minutes. And he said, you're sleeping under my bed tonight. Et dit, je, et dit qu'il est allé le voir à, dans sa maison en 1955, right? Et dit, il a parlé pendant 20 minutes, il a dit, cette nuit, tu dors dans mon lit. And who sleeps in his bed? Et dit, dans cette, qui, 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 qui dort dans sa bride, his wife. Qui dort dans son lit, c'est sa femme. C'est son épouse. Son épouse. Amen, amen. I believe that. If you can get your mind out of message thinking and just think about these things clearly, right, in a clear-headed way, okay, and just read William Branham's words with the message glasses off, okay, it's pretty clear in those two sermons that William Branham is admitting that some of the people in his inner circle think he is God, and that at least two of them are homosexuals, okay? And that's a very simple analysis of his words in those two back-to-back -back sermons in 1961, okay? And I, and so just think about, though, how damaging this has to be to William Branham, okay? I mean, this, it don't get much worse than this, right? I mean, for a Christian preacher. And obviously this thing is so bad that back-to-back -back sermons he had to deal with the deity cult, and then the next Sunday with the homosexual rumors publicly in back-to-back -back sermons, okay? So this situation is really, really bad. Um, it is much, much, much worse than we ever realized when we were in the message, okay? And, and John, I think we can definitively say this is the blow from which William Branham never recovered. Yeah. And in today's world, it looks entirely different. But remember back then, homosexuality was a crime, and he, I think William Branham even mentions that there were people who were arrested for homosexuality yeah. in his inner circle, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly what he says in the next sermon after the Bruce Serpent. He, yeah. <laughs> he admits that someone in his inner circle had been arrested for homosexual acts on a hunting trip in Canada. Again, it, it's, uh, wow, right. So I, I, it's very hard for me to see a way to say, well, that's not connected. There's there's some connection there, obviously, for him to to him for him the way he talked about it that way. And so, John, let me also point out that Paul Kane and T. L. Osborne and Kenneth Hagen and Derek Prince, 
they all stayed connected to William Branham through this, okay? <laughs> we're going through the craziest, the DD cult. <laughs> we're going through the homosexual rumors coming out, right? These guys are all still holding joint appearances with William Branham to the very end of his life through this, okay? They knew about this kind of stuff. And Paul Kane, I'll be honest, I think Paul Kane was in the DD cult himself, personally. Yeah. Um, T.L. Osborne. Yeah, T.L. Osborne, we know he said William Branham was God incarnate at his own funeral. I mean, so what do you do with that? What do yeah. you do with that? And and men like Kenneth Hagen and Derek Prince, I mean, I know the man who was personally given Kenneth Hagen message tapes in those years, okay? Kenneth Hagen had the tapes of all of this. I know that. You know, I know the man who gave him the tapes, okay? <laughs> These guys knew this stuff, and they played along with William Branham to the very end of his life knowing all of this stuff, right? This is probably the time that they might have wrote down their prophecies and stowed them away in some drawer, right? But they never said anything. They never did anything, right? And here in Jeffersonville, you know, nearly every single old-timer knows a whole lot of intimate details about the bruised serpent. I mean, everyone knows about what we're talking about here in, in the Jeffersonville area among the old-timers. They know the names, they know the people, they know what they did. So I just want to point that out. This is not a secret among the old-timers in this area. When you take a step back and you really think about what the fruits are you can all the bible says you can examine the tree by the fruits that it bears the fruits of this movement were that william branham would become deified as a false god no no two ways about it that is clearly what happened and there is no denying it you can go on the internet and you can search william branham god and you can find you'll find these churches who are openly declaring that William Branham is God, openly. You cannot deny that that is the fruit that was bore from this. And then if you take a snapshot in time from 1947, whenever this laddering thing started, to his death to and beyond, like you said, T.L. Osborne right there in the funeral, he's saying that he's he's pay, taking the stance that my grandfather did. He was God tabernacled in human flesh and William Branham. This is a deity statement. Normal people do not say this kind of thing. And preachers who are Christians who would have been there during the funeral, if they were not part of this message, they would hear this and they would say, that's blasphemy. No two ways about it. That is blasphemy. And like you said, this was a movement that kind of evolved into something else, and it splintered off into these various groups, some of which did believe that God was <laughs> in human form, but in my opinion, they're all one and the same. They came from the same tree, and if you examine the fruits of that tree, you can see exactly what this thing was. What I am not sure about personally in all of this is... I am I'm not sure if William Branham was really trying to say he was the literal second coming of Jesus or if he was trying to stick within the more standard latter rain manifested sons of God teachings where he was just one of many people manifesting Christ right I I am genuinely not sure what exactly he was driving at there right it, I because Obviously, in the message, we, we all have different takes on this, right, John? Because we come from different places. And so yeah. I I still kind of lean towards, you know, 
him trying to say he was one of many manifested sons of God, and he was one one manifested son of God manifesting Christ. And, you know, I think to people outside of the cult, this is probably a distinction that don't even matter. It's all heresy anyway, right? But <laughs> yeah. in the cult, this is this is big, right? This is a this is a point that of distinction that matters deeply to people inside the cult. But I, I kinda lean towards William Branham claiming he was one of many manifested sons of God, rather than claiming to be the singular return of Jesus Christ, right? Like classic manifested sons of God theology is Christ is returning in the church and then the whole church manifests Christ. So it's Christ coming in the church corporate rather than in a single individual. And I personally still tend to think William Branham was aiming at the return to the church corporate rather than him singular, but the church corporate with him in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think you take his quotes either way. Yeah. I've ended up in a different place. And <clears throat> I there's this weird thing, this weird dynamic between you and I. I've been escaped from this since January 1st, 2012. And like you, I'm a studier. I, I like to know what's what's under the hood of this car, this jalopy that, <laughs> that we were in. <clears throat> one of my favorite movies is the Batman with Michael Keaton, the first one. <laughs> the ones after it with Michael Keaton, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan. But that first one was really good. And Jack Nicholson has this scheme to take over Gotham. And people can't figure out what's going on. All these people are turning into Joker face, right? And Michael Keaton, Batman, Bruce Wayne, puts together the fact that it's it's this chemical compound and if you get the lipstick it's not going to hurt you but if you get the lipstick and the hairspray whatever combination you get when you mix those chemicals together it it just turns you into this joker laughing face and and that's how joker's trying to take over gotham city well, we have examined many cases in which William Branham is doing exactly what he's the Joker, man. He's doing exactly the same thing. Christian identity. If you take the the um, serpent seed doctrine and you mix it with the high breeding doctrine, put those together, you've not got brand X like Joker said. You've got the Christian identity doctrine, the full and complete Christian identity doctrine. At the time in which William Branham says not a man but God, he'll come in the form of a prophet. That is during the same exact time period in which William Branham is claiming falsely, God only sends one prophet per age. Those two doctrines, put them together, and you've got the chemical compound of, I, William Branham, am God among you. I was a little shocked. I was reading the Bible, and I was trying to piece together a timeline of the Bible one day, and I did a search. You can do it, too, for... King Darius. Do a search for Darius in the Bible, and you're going to find all of these prophets who are prophesying during the time of King Darius. And there are other kings that you can do this with, but you'll find major prophets, minor prophets. They're all prophesying about the same time, especially during the Babylonian uh, occupation of Jerusalem. All of these prophets are together at the same time. And William Branham brought this false theology that there is no two prophets on the earth at the same time, ever. He says this. And he is specifically saying that because he is trying to introduce the notion that there's only one prophet per age who, oh, by the way, is me, William Branham, and one prophet in the last days is God who, oh, by the way, also me, William Branham, like the Joker, 
put them two together and you've got, I, William Branham, am declaring that I am God. It's something else, John. It is something else. And there's so much more we could say about the deity cult, honestly. I mean, in one sense, we barely scratched the surface, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think we've given a, our audiences a pretty good idea of what was happening in the deity cult in the 50s and 60s and William Branham's relationship and reaction to it. And um, I think we're out of time to talk about William Branham's mental illness, unfortunately, in this episode. And I, <laughs> I, I wanted I, a full episode of that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to leave our listeners in suspense, but we're going to have to wait on that till next time. But let me read just one quote, and I'll tease that just a little bit here, John. Or maybe you come back next time, we'll delve into this a little deeper. But just two sentences. This is from the 1961 sermon, The Bruce Serpent. William Branham said, my place is up for sale. I just can't stand it. If I stay around, I'll go completely stark mad, and I ask you to pray for me. <laughs> so with that quote, you know, we have a pretty clear indication in William Branham's sermons that he was suffering some sort of a mental break um, as these homosexual deity cult allegations were coming to the surface there in 1961. And so, yeah, come back next time. We will <laughs> explore the full uh, lifespan of William Branham's mental health issues. I, I hate it on Netflix when you're watching these shows and then they end with this big teaser and you're like, no, I've got to have the next one. But Charles and I, we're about to have some fun. <laughs> if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming. <laughs>